the Lord Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry often used simple and everyday stories that man, that men and women would understand, that men and women would see spiritual truths in them. The opening verses of Matthew chapter 22 contain a parable about a wedding feast, a parable being simply an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning or a spiritual application. When we think of weddings, they are often exciting and special events. Thousands of dollars are often spent in preparation for the wedding day, and sadly, in many cases, more effort, more care, more attention is spent on the actual wedding day itself and having a perfect wedding day than spent on the actual marriage. The Savior in verse 2 says, "'The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son.'" And there's a comparison made here. "'The kingdom of heaven is like.'" And when such a comparison is made in Scripture, the Lord Jesus Christ even here is making a point about the kingdom of heaven being like in a certain way, in a certain manner, to a wedding between a, the son of a king and his bride. Christ is not giving a full exposition of every aspect of his kingdom. He is not spending his time and telling us everything there is to know, for that would be far more than what could be written down. But the Savior is bringing one aspect, a particular aspect, a particular thought to our minds and to our attention to consider. And when we think of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is mentioned throughout the Gospels. It is the kingdom of Christ. It is the kingdom of God. Many Jews believe that this kingdom was reserved exclusively for them. And so, whatever the Savior said about this kingdom was about them. But this phrase, quite simply, we could say, represents the spiritual community of God's redeemed people. When we think of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and when we think of who is in that kingdom, it is God's redeemed people. And this parable concerns a king hosting a wedding for his son. And the custom required that the king sent invitations for those to come to this formal event. The guests would be honored by such an invitation. If you were to receive an invitation to the coronation of King Charles, well, you would be privileged to receive that invitation. Maybe who you are, what you have done, maybe uh, who you represent in society is reflected in that particular invitation. But it would be an honor and it would be a privilege. Going would be another subject altogether, but to receive one would be a privilege. And when all the guests were ready, when the feast was ready, uh, the hour would come and they would have uh, their celebration. But in verse 3, we find that these guests who were called to come to the wedding refused to come, and they rejected the king's invitation. It was rude. It was unnatural to refuse, yet that is what happened. The king was merciful, and verse 4 tells us that he sent forth other servants, saying, "'Tell them which are bidden, behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed. All the preparation has been made,' the king is saying. "'All things are ready. Come on to the marriage.'" 
but he was ignored. He was ignored. Perhaps the Savior had in mind those who rejected him, because John tells us in chapter 1, verse 11, he came unto his own. He came unto his own people, and his own received them not. Christ was rejected by men. He was rejected by the Jews. The invitation is sent out again. And we find in verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, it was sent out again, the highways and the byways, those who were bad and good. They were gathered together. When we think of this parable and its spiritual meaning, the king reminds us of God, God the Father, who delights to honor His Son, His only begotten Son. The Father loves the Son, for He has been obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The Father, in the work of divine grace, glorifies His Son, who is God and man in our own nature, is our great mediator. And now, when we think of this wedding, the prince takes his bride unto him. The Lord Jesus Christ has his bride, his blessed church, his elect people, his glorious church. And there are those who are invited to come. I want you to note something in this passage here, that the king is in control. The king is the one who invited the guests. The king is the one who made all things possible by his decree, by his power, by his wealth. He is the one who brought these things to pass. He is the one who made all things ready. He is the one who sent out the invitation. The wedding would have guests because he was the one who invited them. And when we think of the great spiritual wedding of Christ and his church, there will be the bride because Christ has purchased his people by his death upon Calvary. There will be uh, that great gathering because there is redemption in the plan of God. God, in love and mercy and grace, has made all of this possible. And how wonderful it is when we think of what the Savior is saying here, this wedding feast, and those who are invited that us who were strangers to God, us who were rebels to God, us who rejected God have been invited through the glorious gospel of Christ to partake. Oh, how marvelous, how wonderful. But yet we find in verse number 5 in our text, this invitation went out, but verse 5 tells us, quite simply, they made light of it. They made light of it. That's our text this morning, as we've read it already. It means to be indifferent. It means to be careless. It means to not hold any regard for it whatsoever. Made light of it. If you were to have a new car this morning, maybe it's an old classic that you've bought and you've restored. It's in the church car park. You've braved it through the snow to get here, and you want to show it. And you want to show others what you've purchased and your hard work and your effort that has went into restoring this old car. What if we all turned around and made some comment, oh, very nice, from the distance? We went to our own cars, we drove away, 
we completely disregarded all your expense, all your hard work, all your effort, all your time, all your energy into restoring this old car. But yet we find in verse 5, this is what is happening here. And when we think spiritually of this great wedding feast, this great celebration of Christ and His bride, we find that spiritually there are those that make light of it. They're careless. They don't regard it. Oh, how do we make light of the gospel? How do we make light of Christ? How do we make light and treat something so wonderful with so little care and attention? Well, it's because men esteem things in this world as greater value than the Lord Jesus Christ. Men think greater things of this world than they do of Christ. Men will talk about the things of this world and not talk about Christ. Men will labor to secure the things of this world and not Christ. Christ is last upon their thoughts. The things that men esteem have an impact on their hearts and their lives. But sadly, Christ is often nowhere to be found. Richard Baxter said, "...that which men highly esteem, they would help their friends to as well as themselves. Do not those men make light of Christ and salvation that can take so much care to leave their children portions in the world and do so little to help them to heaven?" What he's saying here is how men make arrangements for material things, how men make sure their family has all that they need in life, in their life, and in the event of their death, their family has everything that they need. But they're unconcerned about the spiritual. They're unconcerned about eternity. And in doing so, they make light of Christ. Christ and His gospel can be set aside. There's no need for attention here. It's something that is of little value and little consequence. And sadly, that is the attitude that many have today toward Christ and toward the gospel of Christ. We see it in our city. We see it in our nation. We see it in this world. Christ is treated lightly. Christ is trodden underfoot. They make light of Christ. They make light of Christ. Oh, do you make light of Christ this morning? Unbeliever, do you make light of Christ? You may show respect in coming to the house of God. You may have little choice in coming to the house of God. You may have been brought by family, by friends. You can't say no. But in your heart, do you treat these things lightly? Do you make light of the worship? Do you treat it carelessly? The message of the gospel that goes forth, the words of Christ that we hold so dear, do you treat it carelessly? Do you not listen? Sadly, often we are all guilty of not listening because distractions can come and our minds can get caught up in other things, and we should always take care for that not to happen. But do you deliberately turn your ears off, as it were, when it comes to spiritual matters? Do you treat Christ 
and his word and his gospel with carelessness. Dear believer, despite trusting Christ, despite desiring to live for him, we too can make light of Christ. We too can treat Christ carelessly. We too can treat the gospel and the word of God lightly. Oh, there's a lesson not just for those who are outside of Christ, but a lesson for those who belong to Christ. How sad and grievous it is when a child of God treats the Word of God lightly, who looks upon the Word of God and does not take it seriously. God's Word says this, and God's Word tells them that they need to do a certain thing, live a certain way, give up a particular sin, and they set it aside. They make light of it. Oh, we ought not to make light of anything to do with God and His Word. Why? Because as we saw this morning in the adult Bible class, the Word of God is inerrant. The Word of God is inspired by the God who is true. Therefore, the Word is inerrant. Therefore, the Word is true. Therefore, we must believe it. We must obey it. We must hearken unto it. We must not make light of it. And so this morning, I want us to consider making light of a great invitation. Making light of a great invitation. And firstly, I want you to see that they made light of a blessed privilege. They made light of a blessed privilege. In verse 4 and verse 5, we see this. And the king sent servants, and verse 4 tells us again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which have bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it. This was a privilege. These guests, as we see in verse 5, one was a businessman, one was a farmer. There's nothing wrong with being a businessman. There's nothing wrong with being a farmer. But these individuals were not royalty. They were not dukes. They were not princes. They were ordinary men making a living in this world. And they had the great privilege of being invited to a royal event. What a privilege that is. And they said no. They said no. And we have in view here a greater privilege. A blessed privilege. The blessed privilege of the gospel of Christ. The blessed privilege of the gospel invitation. And what a privilege it is to hear of Christ. To hear His word. To hear His gospel. To hear the great doctrines of the word of God. Knowing that we are sinners, but Christ is the great answer. And Christ is the great Savior. If we would but trust and obey and believe in Him. Have you ever thought about the privilege, the great privilege, the blessed privilege that God has given you of hearing the living Word of God and having the living Word of God and having the Word that is in earnest and the Word that is true and the Word that tells forth to you your need of a Savior? What a blessed privilege in the mercy and in the grace and the love of God. Oh, you may see the gospel as something that is hard, something that is painful, listening and hearing that I'm a sinner, 
and I've sinned against God, and God will judge me, and God will cast me into hell if I do not repent. And you focus upon the negatives of the gospel, as it were, the punishment and the judgment. But yet it's a blessed thing to hear, because you're hearing the reality of mankind's condition. And oh, the blessed privilege of hearing that there is a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The message came to the Jews. The Jews received not the Savior. He preached to them, and they rejected Him. We find many today who have such a great heritage as the Jews— born into Christian homes, dedicated, baptized from birth, loved by pious and godly parents, faithful attenders at the house of God from their childhood. What a privilege that is, but yet many are unsaved. Looking back at my own country, I can see this very, very clearly, and how we have churches and congregations that have those there who have attended the church for generations. Their parents attended, and their parents attended because their grandparents attended, and now they attend, and they attend maybe one service on the Lord's Day. Their children come to the children's events, the Sunday school, the youth, as they did when they were young. But the whole family knows nothing of the saving power of Christ and the gospel. Church is something that they do that they've always done. But there's no repentance. There's no faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The invitation has went out. The gospel is there. The privilege is there. But they made light of it. They haven't taken it seriously. They haven't turned. They haven't repented. Oh, what a privilege. Oh, what a privilege that here the gospel is no secret. It's not been hidden from you, but the invitation goes out again and again. The gospel word goes out. Oh, that you would hear it. Oh, that you would not make light of it, but you would turn from sin and trust the Savior. Romans 5, 6 tells us, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. And that is why Christ and His gospel are such a privilege to us, our utter inability. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot reach the kingdom of God ourselves. The same way you could not gatecrash a royal wedding without an invitation, you cannot enter into the presence of God and into the presence of heaven without knowing Christ and receiving Him in the gospel. Thomas Boston said, Let the saints admire the freedom and power of grace which came to them in their helpless condition. May their chains fall off, the iron gate to open to them. Raise the fallen creatures, <coughs> excuse me, and brought them out of the state of sin and wrath wherein they would have laid and perished. Oh, Thomas Boston there is speaking of salvation. 
of what Christ has done for us in lifting us up out of our condition of the chains falling off, of the iron gate opening to us, the prisoner being set free because of Christ and through the work and the power of Christ. That is what the gospel does, but yet many are indifferent to the privilege of the gospel. When the apostle Paul in Acts 17 went to Thessalonica, what happened? There were many who rejected it. He had to leave that city. He went elsewhere. The gospel was rejected. It was made light of. Are you rejecting the great privilege of the gospel? Are you making light of this great privilege? There are those of us here, and we rejoice in the gospel. We rejoice in Christ. We rejoice that the Savior in love and mercy redeemed us. But oh, were you treating it carelessly by rejecting it, by not believing it? They made light of it. But then secondly, we see they made light not only of a blessed privilege, but of a tremendous expense. They made light of a tremendous expense. Verse 4 tells us that a great dinner was prepared. Catering, believe it or not, costs money. Whether it is making a sandwich to take with you to work, whether it's stopping at Tim Hortons on the way to work, or whether it's uh, feeding uh, your family and your aunts and uncles and your cousins and whoever it might be, it costs money. There is a great expense involved. And the more food there is, the bigger the crowd is, the greater the expense. Catering costs money, but it was provided by the king. All things were ready. He was not sitting there at the entrance asking for $50 or $100 to enter into this feast. It was provided in honor of his son, in honor of the marriage. A wedding in those days was spread over many days. It's often believed that guests were invited to stay, and there was this great provision, not merely just for a few hours. That's expensive enough but over several days. No expense was spared. The oxen, the fatlings are killed. All things are ready. Come, the king says. The time has arrived. Come. But they made light of it. They made light of it. This great expense, this great cost, they made light of it. And when we think of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it has been provided at a tremendous cost. The Bible tells us God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And when we think of that word, gave, there's much more in the meaning of that in the context of the gospel than what we would think giving somebody something, giving somebody a letter, giving somebody a a coin, giving somebody money, whatever it might be. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He gave Him up. Christ died. Christ suffered because God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave up His Son unto a sacrificial death. Oh, the tremendous expense, the great cost, the Lamb of God 
was forsaken by the Father. That is what the Savior cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Son of God who was in fellowship with the Father, who loved the Father, who submitted to the Father, was now forsaken by the Father because he was made sin for us. Peter tells us, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. There was a great cost. The pure and spotless lamb of God was slain. The only ransom, the greatest cost of all, and thereupon Calvary, as Christ suffered and as Christ died for his people, Christ did not make light of his people. Christ did not make light of the sinner. Christ suffered and died and gave up his life to redeem his people. Oh, dear believer, have you thought of this tremendous cost? The hymn writer said, He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song. Amazing grace the whole day long. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. This tremendous cost was paid by Christ. The Christ who had no debt. The Christ who had no sin. The Christ who was the Son of God who gave himself for us. What did Peter say about Christ to you who believe? He said, those who believe, those who trust him, he said, he is precious. He is precious. There was a young man many years ago. He was going to a meeting. It's a house meeting in a small village in England. And as he went to that meeting, his companion said that he would pray for him as he preached. This young man was confused. He was told that he would be the companion for the preacher, and this man telling him he would pray for him was supposed to be the preacher. And he said, but I'm praying for you as you, as you preach. And they realized that uh, the person who sent them uh, knew that they would never agree to preach, so he told them the other person was preaching and uh, to go along, and it turned out that, well, one of them would have to preach or there would be no sermon. And so the young man preached, and he took as his text that verse in Peter, he is precious. And he spoke a young man, not even 18 years of age, preached on the preciousness of Christ, the tremendous cost that God paid to redeem sinful men, the precious Savior, his precious blood. The young man's name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. That is how he preached his first sermon, so the story goes. And that text, he is precious. He is precious. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, and here we see something else of this, of this great cost and the great effects of this great cost. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave 
himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, a glorious church. You and I stand here today, believer, because Christ gave himself for us. And here eh, we have the Lord Jesus Christ as the head of the church, and the husband here in view, the wife in view. And there is a comparison made that Christ is the husband, the church is the bride. And there's a comparison made in the gospel. There's a comparison made in practical living. Here we have a Christ-like love. There's a sacrificial sacrifice. We have a Christ-like submission. The Son submitted Himself to the Father. And uh, we see that. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. We have Christ-like leadership. How does Christ lead His church? Well, Christ leads His church with love and grace and compassion. Christ-like love, Christ-like submission, Christ-like leadership. And we belong to Christ. Our marriages, as it were, typify that great relationship between Christ and His church that is only possible because of this great cost, this tremendous expense that Christ gave Himself for us. Christ-like love is a sacrificial love. But what do we find in the spiritual application in Matthew 22? They made light of it. They made light of it. Oh, dear believer, we rejoice when we think of the great cost of Christ, when we think of His love toward us, but yet there are those that make light of it. They make light of it. Do you make light of the gospel? Do you make light of Christ? In rejecting Christ, in rejecting His sacrifice, in saying no to Him being your Savior, you're making light of Him. You're making light of this tremendous expense. and that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Thirdly, here we see that they made light of faithful servants. They made light of faithful servants. Verse 6, And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. We may find this as an overreaction, but whatever happened, we find that the servants who were faithful, the servants who obeyed the instruction of the king, who went out to invite uh, these people into this marriage supper, they lost their lives. They lost their lives. And we see this in the gospel. This is what happened to the Savior. This lovely Savior was taken, the Son of God, and crucified. We can see this uh, throughout the Word of God and in history as well. Faithful preachers are dismissed and rejected and put to death. And what this world does is what we find here. They make light not only of Christ, not only of the invitation of the gospel, they make light of the preachers of the Word of God. They treat them carelessly, carelessly. In Second Chronicles 36, we read over there, uh, that the prophets that came to King Zedekiah in that day, the people mocked those prophets. They laughed at them. They poured scorn upon them. They made light of the message that they brought of repentance. 
There's a lesson here for us that as the servants of the king were faithful unto death, we must always be faithful to Christ. We must always be faithful to the King of kings, faithful in the truth of the gospel, faithful in living out that truth, faithful in proclaiming that truth. Faithfulness marks the servants of Christ. Faithfulness marked the servants of this king. But there's also another lesson here. We're not to mock the servants of Christ, the faithful servants of Christ, the true servants of Christ. We're not to make light of them. We're not to make light of them. We're to pray for the Lord's servants. We're to support the Lord's servants. Oh, how many will make light of the servants of Christ. How many will laugh at them? How many will mock them? How many on social media uh, will go and criticize the servants of Christ, criticize the message, criticize the person, because they hate Christ and they hate his gospel? Dear believer, let us not treat the faithful servants of Christ carelessly. Let us not mock them. Let us not listen or not, not listen to their message, for the message is one that comes from the inerrant and true Word of God. Let us listen. Let us take heed. Let us not make light. Dear unbeliever, do not make light of the servant of God. Do not make light of the Word of God. Do not make light of the invitation in the gospel. All these things are a great blessing, a great privilege. If you would but turn from sin and trust the Savior. And then we find finally that they made light with worldly priorities. They made light with worldly priorities. And we see this again in verse 5, but they made light of it. And went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. What do we see here? We're too busy. We don't have the time for the king. We don't have time to come to this wedding and to celebrate in honor of the prince. We're too busy. And when we look at this spiritually, too busy, God can wait. There's other things that need to be done. And how often that is the cry, too busy to consider Christ. Things must be done. Things must be put in place. There is business to be accomplished. Christ can wait. The seriousness of this invitation was set aside because farming is more important or because business was more important. Or some other activity was more important. Oh, how often worldly priorities can take time that ought to be for spiritual matters. And dear believer, this is a lesson for us when it comes to spending time with God, when it comes to coming to the house of God. We make light of it if we put worldly priorities 
first. We make light of it. We make light of it when we see other things as more important. More important. Now, as believers in the Savior, this ought never to be characteristic of us that we make light of anything spiritual. We put the time, the effort, the energy in. Yes, we may have our farm. Yes, we may have our business. There are people in this city that need their post and their meal. We all have our duties. We all have our responsibilities. But they're not to be so great that they come above Christ and they come above His Word. And therefore, we make light of Christ and treat Him carelessly. Maybe without the intention to treat Him carelessly. But we put these things above Christ and Christ has moved down. Oh, that we would not make light of Him for worldly priorities. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19 and the verse 22, how often many place worldly priorities before the Savior. And we read here of a young man coming to Christ. Matthew 19, verse 20, the young man saith unto him, all these things I have kept from my youth up, and what lack I yet? In verse 21, Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And what the Savior is saying is, give up everything, everything in your life, these possessions, whatever they may be, give it all up, and follow me. Verse 22, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was unprepared to give up those great possessions for Christ. Those possessions were here. Christ was that bit lower. And in making a choice, he chose those temporal things that last but for a season. He was unprepared to give it up. Oh, dear unbeliever today, are you unprepared to give up sin? Unprepared to give up what you enjoy in this world, which lasts but for a short time? Are you unprepared to give it all up for the Savior? Christ is made light of because these things are more important. More important. We find at the end of this chapter, at the end of our reading, there was a man here who didn't have a wedding garment. And with this thought, and one more thought, we'll close. This man did not have a wedding garment, and the king saw it and said, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? Verse 12, and he was speechless, and he was cast away into outer darkness. The Lord, the king, had provided for him but he had not put on that provision, and therefore he had no right to be at that wedding. We read there in Isaiah 50, 61 about the garment of salvation, the robes of righteousness. Oh, how Christ has prepared these garments and given them to his people. And if you do not have that garment that Christ has provided, 
that robe of righteousness provided by the Savior. There will be no access to the great marriage supper of the Lamb. You need preparation. You need to prepare. You need these garments. Do you have them today? Do you rejoice that you've listened to the invitation, that you've come, you've put on that preparation that the King has provided in order to have everlasting life? May you do so, and may you look to Christ. And as we close, dear believer, what we've been saying today is very simply spiritual matters are the most serious matters. Spiritual matters are the most serious matters. The gospel, matters of eternity, our relationship with Christ, whatever spiritual matter we want to put in there, all these things, our relationship with Christ, spiritual issues, we ought not to make light of it ever. We're to treat it with all seriousness. That's a message we find here. This world will make light of it. Yes, but we're not to because we belong to Christ. We're to take it seriously. When we think of Revelation chapter 2, we find the church at Ephesus, they took their work seriously. They engaged in that work seriously. They did all the right things. But Christ said, Thou hast left thy first love. All the right things were done, but something happened in the relationship between Christ and his people. They had left Christ. Christ was no longer first, though they engaged in all the outward actions. And the seriousness of spiritual matters, not only is it external. We can look and say we're all at worship. Things must be good with us spiritually because we're here, because we're singing, because we can sing better than the preacher. That's not hard, but we can sing better, and we can sing out, and we look as if we're part of this, and we're praising God, and we're rejoicing in Him. All the externals can look so well. And they did in Ephesus. But there was an issue within the relationship between Christ and His people internally. Internally. It was not what it ought to be. That relationship was treated carelessly. It was treated lightly, we could say. And dear believer, today, make sure that not only are the externals, all the external outward matters of religion and worship serious to you, but also that relationship inwardly between you and the Savior. You're not making light of it. You're not treating it as something less important than something else, but it has your greatest priority. Your greatest priority. Do not make light of anything spiritual. Do not make light and go your way. Make sure that everything in your life that is associated with Christ, and of course, everything we do should be to the glory of God. Do so with all seriousness. May the Lord bless his word this morning for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word this morning. We pray that thou would bless it to us, apply it to us, Father, we think of those who made light of this great invitation, but yet there's a greater invitation. 
the invitation of Christ and the gospel. And Father, we pray that none of us would make light of that. The one believer here would treat that lightly, but they would accept it. Father, even we think of the younger generation, the boys, the girls, the young people. Oh, so much time, perhaps, they can think to accept this invitation. But yet, it is an urgent invitation for all things already. And Father, we pray that each one of us, no matter our age or our background, Father, we would make sure that that invitation has been accepted, that we would not make light of it. For making light of such an invitation is making light of Christ and making light of Thee and making light of the gospel. Father, we pray that as Thy people we would take Thy word seriously. We would believe it with all earnestness. And whatever spiritual exercise we find ourselves in, that we would do so with seriousness, that Christ would be first, that Christ would be glorified. Father, we pray that thou would be pleased to part us with thy blessing. Take us to our homes in safety, we pray. And may the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of God, the Holy Spirit, rest, remain, and abide with us both now and forevermore. Amen.